pools are bright and deep where the gray trout lies asleep. Up the river and over the lee, that's the way for Billy and me. Where the blackbird sings the latest, where the hawthorn blooms the sweetest, where the nestlings chirp and flee, that's the way for Billy and me. Where the hazel bank is steepest, where the shadows fall the deepest, where the clustering nuts fall free, that's the way for Billy and me. Why the boy should drive away the little sweet maidens from the play, or love to banter and fight so well, that's the thing I never could tell. But this I know, I love to play through the meadows among the hay, up the water and over the lee, that's the way for Billy and me. Welcome to Season by Season with Alexis and Kit, the podcast that celebrates and reforges our connection to nature and the passage of time. It is our hope that through prose, poetry, history, and sound, this podcast will help to inspire your interest in the natural world around us. Together, Kit and I will be sharing observations of the seasons as we see them. We'll be looking through the lens of the 24 seasonal divisions, or mini-seasons as we like to call them, based on the progression of seasons in the traditional Japanese calendar. Before we begin, let's explore the concept of seasonal divisions a bit further. A new mini-season occurred every two weeks or so, and reflected observable changes within the natural world. These mini-seasons are what the Japanese call sekki, the 24 divisions of the year. This season celebrates the height of summer, a time for long days and short, balmy nights. The warm wind is blowing, the hawks take to the skies, and the lotus flowers unfurl their petals. This season, lasting from approximately July 7th to July 21st, is known as minor heat. Minor heat is a precursor to the major heat that would come later in the summer. This season is also known as the beginning of midsummer, which is how we will refer to it throughout this episode. This mini-season follows the summer solstice and brings with it hot, sticky weather and the vibrancy that accompanies the height of the summer season. In this episode of Season by Season, we'll discuss what's happening in the sky, in the ground, and in our lives during this special period. We open this episode with A Boy's Song by James Hogg. I grew up with this poem in a book of verses I had as a child. To me, this poem is what summer is all about and what summer should be. This poem reminds me of the long days of summer vacation in our childhood. Didn't it seem like summer stretched out forever? They were days that seemed to never end, and summer vacation from June to September extended into the horizon. One of the things I remember about the summertime of my childhood is morning glories. We used to have an archway in the front yard that spilled over with them. In the early hours of the day, they were a deep, rich blue, then fading to purple by the afternoon. You know, morning glories are one of my favorite flowers. 
And they are a kigo, or a seasonal word, for this season. I've always loved their splashy, round faces, and that they seem to grow so tenaciously wherever they are. It's that tenacity of growth that has led some gardeners to think of morning glories as a type of weed. Although, taxonomically speaking, weed is just a term for plants growing where they're not wanted. And of course, for some, it's hard to imagine morning glories not being wanted. In Japan, these flowers are as much a part of summer as cherry blossoms are a part of spring. They're called asagao, which translates literally to morning face, but more loosely may be thought of as morning beauty. In elementary schools throughout Japan, morning glories are grown by students to observe their changes throughout the day. Some students extract pigment from their petals to paint with in art class. It's a flower that evokes a nostalgic feeling for many. The well bucket taken by morning glories, water borrowed. Morning glories are also part of a long-standing summer tradition in Japan, summer flower markets. Flower markets have been enjoyed around Tokyo every summer since the Edo period. They are a place not just to buy plants, but also participate in many flower festivals unto themselves. These markets are lively events, with food and drink sellers lined up between the neatly arranged flower pots. While these markets may only be open for a few days each summer, many begin at dawn and last until late into the evening. They add a sense of colorful exuberance to the sweltering summer heat. That's right. The two most popular plants to find at these festivals are morning glories and Chinese lantern plants, or hozuki as they're called in Japanese. These plants have clusters of inflated seed pods, which resemble vermilion paper lanterns. Inside the pods are orange-colored fruits. These are a staple at many flower markets throughout summertime. During the hot days of summer, you can find some respite in admiring the sublime summer blooms. From the morning glory's blossom, midsummer begins. There's another seasonal flower that begins to bloom around this time of year, the lotus. Somewhere where the lotus blooms, the breeze wafts its fragrance, clarifying the water of the pond of my heart. The lotus is a beautiful flower which grows in muddy, shallow water. It has large, saucer-like leaves in a deep blue-green, with flowers similar to those of a water lily. Interestingly, the flowers open for three days, closing each night and trapping the pollinators inside. After pollination, petals fall and seeds develop. The round seeds have an extremely hard seed coat, which protects the plant embryo inside to such an extent that seeds 1,300 years old have germinated. Lotus are an ancient, almost primordial flower. Primordial is an apt word. As you say, many ancient lotus seeds have been discovered and propagated. In Japan, in 1951, Dr. Ichiro Oga of Tokyo University discovered lotus seeds estimated to be thousands of years old. 
Now the relatives of those seeds can be found blooming in Chiba Park near Tokyo, as well as growing in muddy ponds throughout the world. You can see a picture of these flowers on our website, nourishingjapan.com. It's rather magical to think that something so old can bring forth life. Yet this miracle, I suppose you could say, seems very fitting for a flower that carries so much symbolism. The lotus flower has a beautiful meaning in the East. As you might have noticed, the Buddha is sometimes depicted sitting on a lotus flower. The flower symbolizes one who overcame the pain that prevails in the material world and became enlightened. Our murky beginnings are just like the lotus flower, which begins its life in the muddy, shallow water, but manages to transcend the mire to produce a perfect flower. Similarly, many Hindu gods are depicted sitting or standing on a lotus flower for the same reason. First blooming in the western paradise, the lotus has delighted us for ages. Its white petals are covered with dew. Its jade green leaves spread out over the pond, and its pure fragrance perfumes the wind. Cool and majestic, it raises from the murky water. The sun sets behind the mountains, but I remain in the darkness, too captivated to leave. In July, there are so many beautiful plants blooming, but it's sometimes difficult to enjoy them. Bright, sunny days can bring with them certain problems. Hmm. I know July is one of the most popular months for taking vacations. Are you worried all the parks will be too crowded during this season? Not just crowds. For me, sunny days mean an increased danger of sunburn. <laughs> Yikes! No one wants to spend their summer vacation covered in sunburns. Yes, protecting yourself from the sun is important. In the rainy season, we had umbrellas for protection. And now, may I recommend the umbrella's close relation, the parasol? The parasol is the umbrella's daughter and associates with a fan, while her father abuts the tempest and abridges the rain. The former assists a siren in her serene display, but her father is born and honored and borrowed to this day. A parasol can offer protection from the sun in the form of cooling shade. But on really humid days, sometimes there's just no escape from the heat. This brings us to a segment I've been looking forward to all season. It's time for Hiro's Corner with Hiroaki Sato. The seasonal word Kibo selected for this session is Shosho, minor heat. It is one of the 24 seasonal segments of the year devised by ancient Chinese, and the Chinese word for it is Shaoshu. Perhaps because the word comes directly from Chinese and is not a native Japanese word, Shosho, minor heat, seems to have been adopted as a seasonal word relatively recently. Here is one by Inayoshi Sou. 
部屋ぬちえ少女の風の超再び Into my room on the wind of minor heat the butterfly again The name soul refreshing rain is haiku name Any haiku worth his or her salt is expected to have a haiku pen name Soul's original name is Daitaro, which may be translated as Big John. The next haiku is by Awano Seiho. Seiho, again, the haiku name means Blue Ridge between rice fields. His original name was utterly mundane, Toshio. He suffered from Hypoacusis or difficult hearing from youth. So he was introduced to the deaf haiku poet Mirakami Kijo, who is his senior by three dozen years, and in the end became as good as his mentor. He married twice and lived to the old age of 93. So the haiku goes, Shou shou he, Tai shou hetaru, Oi futari. Surviving minor heat, survived major heat, the old couple. This haiku uses two different higo, as you may have noticed, which is usually frowned upon, but such rule flouting is okay with an old man. Perhaps. There's not much we can do about hot weather, just best to embrace this part of the season. However, there are a few things that help to keep our bodies and spirits cool. One of them is summer evening thunderstorms, or yudachi in Japanese. Here's a poem you'll like, Kit, which includes two seasonal words from this episode thunderstorms and morning glories. In the cloudburst, an enormous morning glory has bloomed. Unfortunately, we don't tend to get thunderstorms in the summertime here in the Bay Area, but in Japan during the summer, they are quite common. This sudden downpour helps give a feeling of refreshment and usher in a sense of evening cool. Mountain water shows off a sudden downpour. Evening thunderstorms are caused by cumulonimbus clouds, which are another kigo to this season. Cumulonimbus clouds are dense, towering clouds that have a unique mushroom or anvil shape to them. Towers of cumulonimbus clouds are true summer scenery. Gavin Praetor Pini, founder of the Cloud Appreciation Society, calls cumulonimbus clouds the Darth Vader of the cloud world. And he says, just like the Star Wars villain, it is the most exciting of all the clouds. It is a malevolent force, causing torrential downpours, hailstorms, snowstorms, lightning, gales, 
Tornadoes and hurricanes. Wow. You know, storms can play important roles in the arts and literature. They often represent triumph, despair, or realization. Perhaps one of the most famous storms is in Shakespeare's King Lear. Blow winds and crack your cheeks. Rage, blow. You cataracts and hurricanoes spout till you have drenched our steeples, drowned the cocks. You sulfurous and thought executing fires, vault couriers to oak cleaving thunderbolts. Singe my white beard, and though all shaking thunder strike flat the thick roundity of the world, crack nature's molds, all Germans split at once, that make ungrateful man. Doesn't that just give you the shivers? I have a particularly nice memory of summer thunderstorms and cumulonimbus. It was a late summer evening in Yamagata City, around six in the evening. Huge clouds hovered over the mountains and you could hear the rumble of thunder off in the distance. The clouds were lit up in the evening glow and against their apricot colored forms, flew large birds. I wonder if they could have been hawks. One part of the beginning of midsummer season is known for hawks learning to fly. Hawks love high open spaces and look noble indeed soaring through the clouds. Ambushed in yonder cloud of white, far glittering from its azure height, he shrouds his swiftness and his might. But oft across the echoing sky, Long drawn, though uttered suddenly, we hear his strange, shrill, bodeful cry. Winged robber! In his vaporous tower, secure in craft, as strong in power, coolly he bides the fated hour. When through cloud rifts of shadowy rise, earthward are bent his ruthless eyes, where, blind to doom, the quarry lies. And from dense cloud to noontide glow, his fiery gaze still fixed below, he sails on pinions proud and slow, till like a fierce embodied ray he hurtles down the dazzling day, a death flash on his startled prey, and where but now a nest was found, voiceful beside its grassy mound, a few brown feathers strew the ground. You know, while we're talking about seasonal occurrences in the sky, there's another thing I look forward to seeing each summer, fluttering through the air. Summer butterflies. A very different Kigo than thunderstorms and hawks. A very gentle Kigo, I think. In North America and in parts of Europe, July is often called the butterfly month. Butterflies come in many varieties, and in a seasonal almanac may be seen as a seasonal keyword across different seasons. The butterflies seen around this time of year would be Natsuno Cho, or summer butterfly. From cocoon forth a butterfly, as lady from her door emerged, a summer afternoon. Repairing everywhere without design that I could trace, except to stray abroad on miscellaneous enterprise, the clovers understood. 
Her pretty parasol was seen contracting in a field where men made hay, then struggling hard with an imposing cloud, where parties, phantom as herself, to nowhere seemed to go in purposeless circumference, as it were a tropic show. And notwithstanding bee that worked, and flower that salis blew, this audience of idleness disdained them from the sky, till sundown crept, a steady tide, and men that made hay, and afternoon, and butterfly, extinguished in its sea. Here in California, it is almost impossible to look anywhere in a garden or meadow without seeing at least one butterfly, fluttering to and fro. They are part of the summer scenery, their bright wings glinting in the warm sunshine. Drinking tea alone. Every day the butterfly stops by. I like to imagine Isa is drinking some cooling variety of tea. Maybe iced tea? Hmm. But you know, I'm pretty sure they didn't have iced tea back when Isa was writing poetry. You know what Isa might have enjoyed, though? One of my favorite summer drinks. Mugicha, or barley tea. There are many varieties of tea that make great iced teas to cool you down during summer. But mugicha is particularly popular in Japan and in Korea, where it is known as boricha. Why do you think barley tea is such an enduring summer drink? Well, for one thing, the roasted barley seeds give it a mild, toasty flavor, which many people do find refreshing. I can think of another cold drink made from barley. Beer. Do you think these drinks have similarities? Perhaps only their popularity in summertime. Mugicha is a much healthier choice for those who want to avoid alcohol. It's also naturally caffeine-free, and it has a cooling effect on the body. It's a great way to stay hydrated during the hotter days of summer. Some people enjoy it hot, but it's more popularly enjoyed as a cold-brewed drink. Seems like barley tea might be the perfect summertime refreshment. Morning glories. Softly floating. In the teacup. Meanwhile, another kigo to help with cooling off during summer is cooling summer things. Cooling summer things? Hmm, I think I'll need an explanation. This is an approximate translation, but basically, places, things, food that help to conjure up a feeling of coolness. Ah, I see. So, like a fan, or going to the pool? Yes, or even ice cream, or the tinkling of a bell, the trill of crickets, or the sound of running water, all can give a feeling of refreshment. Here's a lovely cool poem about crickets. All night the crickets chirp, like little stars of twinkling sound in the dark silence. They sparkle through the summer stillness, with a crisp rhythm, they lift the shadows on their tiny voices. But at the shining note of birds that wake, flashing from tree to tree till all the wood is lit, oh, golden coloratura of dawn, the cricket stars fade slowly, one by one. Yes, 
Sometimes on those still summer evenings, the song of the crickets or the gentlest tinkle of the wind bell can be such a relief. A breeze, even a small one, can seem a blessing. In Japan, people hang furin, or wind bells, from the eaves in the summertime. These are considered quite a seasonal motif, and once the summer season is over, they are usually put away. Wind bells can be made out of metal, glass, porcelain, pretty much anything. However, it usually tends to be one bell with a paper or light cardboard wind catcher attached to create just one delicate note. Whereas wind chimes are usually an all-weather kind of thing you keep out in any season. They can create many notes and may sound quite cacophonous by comparison. Whether it's a wind chime or a wind bell, I'll take them all, as long as they tell me a refreshing breeze is here. The cool breeze, crooked and meandering, it comes to me. Another sound of summer and of this season is the song of cicadas. Huge trees are many, their names unknown, the voices of cicadas. Big rain, big moon, cicada in the pine. There are more than 3,000 species of cicadas, which fall into roughly two categories. Annual cicadas, which can be spotted every year, and periodical cicadas, which spend most of their lives underground and only emerge once every decade or two. When you think of cicadas, you probably think of their buzzing and clicking noises, which can be amplified by multitudes of insects into an overpowering hum. This year in 2020, a brood of cicadas in the South in the United States is expected to emerge after their once in 17 year mating season. As many as 1.5 million cicadas could emerge per acre. Wow. That's so many. I bet the sound of their song will be awe-inspiring. Next, let's explore how tradition and festivals surrounding nature seamlessly interweave into our lives. Seamlessly interweaving is a great segue into Tanabata, a festival celebrating the reuniting of the weaver princess Orihime and her true love, Hikoboshi. Here's the story. Once upon a time, on the bank of the Amanogawa, the Milky Way, Orihime sat weaving a cloak of stars out of the night sky. Orihime was the daughter of the king of the heavens, and it was her duty to weave the cloaks her father would wear each night. One day, she met and fell in love with a cattle herder, Hikoboshi. The cows Hikoboshi tended were actually stars, and they traveled through the Milky Way together to be with Orihime. It didn't take long for Orihime and Hikoboshi to become inseparable. However, the young lovers were so entranced with each other that they neglected their duties. Soon the king of the heavens had no cloaks to wear, and star cattle were freely roaming through the heavens, 
it was chaos. So the king of the heavens punished the two lovers by separating them across the Milky Way from one another. Only once a year, on the seventh day of the seventh month, are the lovers allowed to cross the Milky Way and meet for one night. What a wonderful legend. Orihime and Hikoboshi are represented by the stars Vega and Altair, respectively. Of course, the seventh day of the seventh month ushers in our current season, the beginning of midsummer. Many festivals are being held throughout Japan right now to celebrate Tanabata. Streets will be decorated with huge, colorful streamers. One custom during Tanabata is to write wishes for the future or notes of thanks on colored strips of paper and then hanging them from bamboo. There's also a traditional Tanabata song. The bamboo leaves rustle and sway under the leaves. The stars twinkle like gold and silver grains of sand. The five colored paper strips, I have written them. The stars twinkle, watching from above. It's quite a lovely and romantic festival. To tie Tanabata in with another Kigo we've already featured in this season, the morning glory may be seen to represent the weaver princess and the cattle herder. The blooms of the morning glory are velvety purple and blue, and when sprinkled with morning dew, reflect the colors of a beautiful starry night. They open full and brilliant for just a short while before fading away further representing the longing lovers at Tanabata. How beautiful and sad. At Tanabata, worshipful hearts are all as one. The threads of prayers are all our own, each and every one. If you're wondering how else to celebrate Tanabata, you can do so through food. Serving solmen, thin noodles, studded with sliced okra and carrot is popular for this day. The delicate noodles are said to represent the Milky Way, the slices of okra look like stars, and the carrots are sliced in a way so that they look like paper wish banners. Another popular ingredient is lotus root, which, filled with holes, is said to look like the wheel and spoke of an ox cart. These sound delicious. I'd love to give them a try. Listeners, if you're interested in trying out these recipes, visit nourishingjapan.com where we have the recipes posted. Yes, please do give it a try. And if you end up making it, send us a photo as well, and we'll feature it on our Facebook page. Meanwhile, a less romantic, yet nonetheless seasonal, is St. Swithin's Day. St. Swithin's Day falls on July 15th. St. Swithin was a bishop of Winchester in England. The story goes that as he lay on his deathbed, he asked to be buried out of doors, where he would be trodden on and rained on. For nine years his wishes were followed, but then the monks of Winchester attempted to remove his remains to a splendid shrine inside the cathedral on July 15, 971. Legends say there was a heavy rainstorm 
either during the ceremony or on its anniversary. Here's a rhyme that accompanies this legend. Saint Swithin's Day. If it does rain, full forty days it will remain. Saint Swithin's Day. If it be fair, for forty days twill rain no more. So this means whatever the weather is on July 15th, you can expect a similar forecast for the next month and a half. Although this does seem unlikely. But there might be a seed of truth included in this folklore. While most of us would rather not see rain on July 15th, apple growers hope for a good soaking on this day. There's a belief that the saints are watering the crops, and if they fail to do so, the apple crop will be a poor one. No apples should be picked or eaten before July 15th, and any apples still growing at St. Swithin's Day will ripen fully. Apples have a little while yet to ripen, but there are lots of fruit and vegetables that are ripe now. Melons, in particular, are magnificent in this season. Melons are related to squashes and cucumbers, and, although often grouped together, most sweet melons fall into two broad categories, watermelons and muskmelons. Here in the United States, summer isn't complete without a watermelon. I think the iconic image of melons are the green and darker green striped melons with a pink or red interior. Sweet, juicy, and full of water, they are amazingly refreshing. As Mark Twain said, when one has tasted watermelon, one knows what the angels eat. Melons and summertime go hand in hand. The melons are so hot, they have rolled out of their leafy hiding. The melons look cool, flecked with mud from the morning dew. Oblivious of the gaze of the thief, melons in the cool. And so, with the taste of melon on our lips, midsummer has truly begun. episode of Season by Season draws to a close. Thank you for joining us on this journey through the sky, the earth, and our homes during the beginning of midsummer. In the season ahead, we hope you will take time to enjoy the lushness of life flourishing around you. And stay safe from the heat and the sun. In this episode, some of the Kiko, or seasonal words we explored, are morning glories, Chinese lanterns, lotuses, parasols, summer evening thunderstorms, cumulonimbus clouds, summer butterflies, cicadas, hawks, wind chimes, crickets, Tanabata, St. Swithin's Day, and melons. We covered quite a lot, but we're sure there are many more. If you'd like to share a word you associate with this mini-season, email nourishingjapan at gmail.com. The works featured in this podcast are in the public domain or with permission from their creators. If you would like to learn more about them, please visit our website, nourishingjapan.com. This episode, we would like to thank Edwin Sanborn, Catherine and Zachary Piper, Anne Chow, Cyrus Lanthier, Porfirio Figueroa, Mara Rosencrantz, Kathleen Moore, Jessica Lauren, Tim Turner, Chris Whitaker, Carl Smith, and Nikki for their contributions to this podcast. 
We'd also like to thank the composer, Stuart Brzezinski, who allowed us to use his piece, Fantasy for Bassoon and Electronics. You heard it beautifully performed by Nancy Belmont during our segment on cicadas. You can learn more about the music and poems featured in this podcast on our website. After this season of minor heat, the next mini-season awaiting us is major heat. We're not through those hot summer days quite yet. Henry David Thoreau once wrote, Live in each season as it passes. Breathe the air, drink the drink, taste the fruit. I can think of no better sentiment to close this episode of Season by Season with Alexis and Kit. Go forth and live in the season. See you in another season.